<clears throat> before we get into John chapter 12, I'd like to ask a question regarding some reasons why we perhaps at times grow cold in our love for the Lord. Remember the church at Ephesus, they labored, they were patient, they were uh, steadfast in their service to God, they were marking out false apostles, they hated the workers of iniquity, they hated uh, you know, these things, and yet God still had something against them. And uh, who, remember what, who remembers what that was? They left their first love. And he warned them and said, if you do not repent, I'll remove your candlestick. And that is sobering, isn't it? So how's a person leave their first love? What are some things that will simply begin the process of leaving our first love? Okay. So not having a vibrant, intimate relationship with the Lord. Our service perhaps supersedes our relationship with God. Our time spent with the Lord in fellowship. That intimacy that takes place, that communion. And there lies certain things. When you're fellowshipping with the Lord in a very sweet manner, God begins to reveal to you some sin. And so there's a sensitivity to sin. When we lose that sem sensitivity to the Savior and our relationship with Him, we lose sensitivity to sin. Because we're not really walking in the Spirit of God that is the greatest uh, you know, power that reveals to us when we have sinned. He, he convicts us. And so we begin to downplay sin. We begin to... Uh, undermine our sin, make excuses, blame shift, justify. You remember when God exposed you the day you were saved? And you were sensitive to your sin. But once you lose that sensitivity to your sin, you're done. Because sin is the greatest separator between God and man. That's the whole reason we have a Savior that bridges the gap and that reconciles us to Him. But even as Christians, we can, our relationship can still be severed when we have an indifference towards sin. We cannot lose our salvation, but we lose our fellowship with the Lord that is sweet. And so... At times, the reason why we don't fellowship with the Lord like we once used to is because of sin in our lives. They're almost connected. If you're fellowshipping with the Lord, you'll be sensitive to sin. If you're sensitive to sin, you'll fellowship with the Lord. They're almost connected. They go hand in hand. Someone once said, sin will keep you from this book, and this book will keep you from sin. And do you know you can still be under the Word of God and in the Word of God, even though we're harboring sin in your life? And that's when we have our dry times in the Word. You, un you understand why at times you learn nothing from the Word of God? Or there's times of, you know, uh, where we're just stale. We have a stale time in the Word. There's nothing wrong with the Word of God. The Word of God is always living. It's fresh. It's 
good. Sometimes it's the heart is growing cold. Sensitive to the sin, sensitive to the Saviour. One more. Being sensitive to the saints of God. If you read the epistle of 1 John, his one major theme, there are many things in there, but there's a major theme in there over and over again. It says, if you have truly passed from death to life, then you'll love your brethren. You cannot be indifferent toward your brother in the Lord or your sister in the Lord. You cannot. There ought to be a love for the saints of God. There ought to be a love for the bride of Christ. There ought to be a love there, a passionate love for God's people. And so there's these three things that could take place that will cause this lack, if you will, of love toward the Saviour, growing cold that would get us away from our first love. And that, that's not a good place to be in, is it? It, 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 it's not a good place to continue to do the things of the Lord and this is the deception that we're working, we're serving, we're soul winning and yet we're cold in our service. We're cold in our soul winning. We're cold. Our attitude is not good. I believe you can serve with a bad attitude. That's why the Bible says use hospitality one to another without what? Grudging. And so you can serve, you can mark out sin, you can mark out error, you can be someone that's for the truth, and you ought to be. Praise God for that. We ought not to undermine a stand for the truth of God's word. We ought never to undermine holy living, gospel preaching, sin hating. Amen. But there ought to be a love in our hearts that governs all that we do. All, everything is just... In vain. John chapter 12, we look at Jesus and remember the price that he paid. We want to remember the suffering Savior tonight. And from verses 23, in Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man shall be what? Glorified. That word is going to come up time and time again. And the way which the Son will be glorified is once he fulfills the will of God in dying on a cross. Notice the next verse. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground, and what's that word? Die. It abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And we understand that the death of Jesus Christ bore much fruit fruit some of us here are a byproduct of that fruit thank God for that verse 25 he that loveth his life shall lose it and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal Jesus was the greatest example in this and verse 26 if any man serve me let him and follow and let him follow me and where I am there also there shall he also my servant be and if any man serve me him will my father honor that alone is just forget about it 27 now is my soul look at this 
troubled. Why? That word troubled means to stir, be stirred. It's the same word used in John chapter 5 and verse 4 when the angel went down in certain season to trouble the waters, to stir it up. And at that time, people would go and be healed. The first one in will be healed. What a day, a miracle that was in those days. But the word troubled means to be stirred. Stirred in his soul. He was troubled in his soul. Why? He says in verse 27, Now my soul's troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Even though our Lord felt this way and troubled, why was he troubled? Because he foresaw what will take place on that cross and even the things that will take place before the cross. He foresaw the sufferings. He foresaw what will take place. I mean, he even predicted this in Matthew chapter 18, uh, verse, sorry, chapter 16, verse 21. He predicted his sufferings to his disciples. In Luke chapter 22, verse 14, he, before he had the Passover, he, he, he basically, sorry, he says, with desire I have to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So he would gather them together because he knew that after the last supper, he would suffer. He foresaw this. Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour. Look at this. For this cause came I unto this hour. That's the whole purpose. Well, one of the major purpose for the coming of Jesus Christ was to come and suffer. The hour of suffering. Suffering and dying. This hour is the moment Jesus will come and lay down his life. For this cause, whole purpose even though his soul was in anguish, troubled, stirred. I mean, there was legitimate anguish taking place. He was in agony. Uh, listen, the closer he got to the suffering and the closer he got to the crucifixion, he felt the burden. He felt the agony. He foresaw what would take place. Have a look at Luke chapter 23, uh, 22, and we'll come back to John. just want you to see some of the things here as we take it slow tonight, pondering upon and meditating upon our suffering Saviour. Look at verse uh, 39, And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at a place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone cast and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, in another passage, he says, Father, and he also says, Abba, Abba, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Why? Verse 44, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was as if it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Why? Because he foresaw the pain and the suffering that he would endure for us. 
emotional pain. I mean, he was deserted from his own disciples fled. Not only this, but he was absolutely deserted by God the Father on that cross. He was, listen, forsaken. He cried out, why hast thou forsaken me? Verse 63, have a look. Verse 63 in Luke chapter 22. And the men that helped Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? Playing games with him. Now I want you to remember this is our God. Our creator in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh. I mean, we're not talking about any kind of man. This is the God man manifest in the flesh. God incarnate being humiliated by the very own people that he created. Playing games with him. Prophesy, who is it? Who's the one that smote you? And many other things, blasphemy spoke they against him. Can you just imagine speaking against our Lord, our suffering Savior? Go to Matthew chapter 27. We'll see more detail there. Yeah, there was humiliation before he went to Pilate. And there was scourging and humiliation after he met Pilate. Man, they manhandled him time and time and time again. Our suffering Savior. Matthew 27, verse 26. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they what? Stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Or mocking him. Now, at this particular point, we understand that he was scourged. His back was already ripped open. Have a look at the next verse. Verse 31. Oh, sorry, verse 30. And they spit upon him. They spit upon him. And they took a reed and smote him on the head. Can you imagine these band of soldiers spitting on him? I've had someone spit on me, but perhaps a band of soldiers like this? Just spitting on our crucified Savior, the one that would be crucified for us, our Lord. You know what Isaiah said? He says, I gave my back to the smiters. You know, Jesus willingly did this. You know, Jesus willingly laid down his life. Pilate didn't take his life. He gave his life. You know, when the Pharisees mocked him, when he was on that cross, said he saved others, but he can't save himself. He could. At any moment, he could call 12 legion of angels. He made that clear in Gethsemane to Peter. He could, but he didn't. Why? Because he endured the cross. 
They spit on him. That's what Isaiah, he gave his back to the smiters. He, he, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. He didn't turn his face. They plucked his beard. They would have perhaps grabbed a, a handful and ripped his beard or his face off. You know what Isaiah says? That his visage was marred more than any other man. By the time they had finished with Jesus, you couldn't tell that that was him. He was marred. This is the whole reason he was in agony. The whole reason for seeing and troubled in his soul because he knew what was going to take place. He said, I hid not my face from shame and spitting. He hid not his face. Every single drop of spit that he took, he took it upon himself for us. Every whip, every lash was for our sin. By his stripes, we are healed. Because of his stripes, we've been we forgiven. We have forgiveness. Those that believe, of course. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. He took it all. Our suffering saviour, 31, and after they had mocked him, they took the robe off him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And then later on, you know what the soldiers did. They parted his garment. They stripped him and parted his garment and cast lots. Humiliated him. Go back to John chapter 12 and look at verse 28. He says in John 12 and verse 28, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. You know, right from the beginning, Jesus glorified the Father by the way he lived. Twelve years old. 12 years old, he was about his father's business. Even his own mother in the flesh and Joseph couldn't understand this. They lost him. They came back to find him and they, they, were, they were troubled. And he simply said to them very clearly, how is it that you sought me? Wist ye not that I'm, I must be about my father's business? Mary didn't understand it and she kept this in her heart. From a little boy... He submitted to God the Father about his business. Not only this, when he started his public ministry, he went to be baptized by John the Baptist. And after he was baptized by John the Baptist, there was a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I heard a voice from heaven. You know, throughout the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, he glorified the Father. Why? Because he was the perfect example of someone that submitted to the will of the Father every time. As a matter of fact, if you have a look at John chapter 8, back it up a couple of chapters, notice what he says there. By his own testimony, in verse 28, then said Jesus unto them, when ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He. The centurion knew that he was 
the Son of God. He feared greatly. He said, indeed, this is a righteous man. And that, he says, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. Verse 29, and he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. Look at this, for I do always those things that what? Please him. Have a look at John 17, verse 1. These words spoke Jesus, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. What hour? The hour of his suffering. It's come. He's trained up his 12. He's taught them. 11, 12, 11 followed, but one, the son of perdition. And he says, Father, the hour has come, glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. This was the heart of Jesus Christ, that he would glorify the Father by the way he lived in submission to his will. Who do men say that I am? John the Baptist, Elias, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? They're out Christ. The son of the living God. Well, blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonas, that flesh and blood haven't revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. I think one of the ways that God would reveal the Father uh, or the truth, you've seen me, you've seen the Father, is through the voice that came from heaven. I want you to continue to read John chapter 12, verse 29. Have a look. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it, said that it said that it thundereth. Others said, it is angels spoke to him. And Jesus answered and said, the voice came not because of me, but because of your sakes. Your sakes. Look at verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Who's he talking about here? Because of the suffering and the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, the devil has been defeated. His head has been crushed. You know, That's the whole point that Jesus manifested was to destroy the works of the devil. Uh, look at verse 32. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Then he said, signifying what death he should die. If I be lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus was made a curse for us. Curse is everyone that dieth upon a tree. And that serpent on a pole typified the curse. But those that would look would live. Those that would believe and call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And as he was lifted up, he did draw all men, both good and bad, mockers and scoffers, sinners but saints alike, signifying what kind of death he would die. He was crucified on that cross for our sins. I want you to see this now. When we look at this suffering saviour we see the substitute we remember the substitute jesus listen paid the price but jesus took our place 
I want you to see John the Baptist. He said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, paving the way for our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God that was sinless and spotless without blemish. What does it mean for us? Well, it means that when Christ died upon the cross, He was our atonement. He was atoning for our sin. It is the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. The atonement has to do with the blood of Jesus Christ. When he's put upon that cross, his blood was being spilt or shed. His blood was shed for you and me. On that cross, when they crucified him, when he was lifted up, his body was broken, but he was, his blood was shed. What does that mean for us? It means that he was our substitute. Number one, I want you to see the blood of Christ is used to make an atonement for our sin and we are redeemed through his blood. Go to Ephesians 1, 5. We're going to take this slow. We'll look at these verses together. Ephesians 1, 5. To redeem something means to buy back. Jesus redeemed us, not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. But have a look at Ephesians 1, 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, look at this in verse 7, in whom we have, what's that word? Redemption through his, what's that word? Blood. The forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. We have been redeemed or bought back because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the atonement. The shed blood there, the crucified Lord, lifted up. Not only this, but we are justified through his blood. Turn to Romans. Romans chapter number 5. Look at verse 8 to 9. Justified means to render righteous, to be made righteous. And look at verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being, what's that word? Justified. By his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him. Jesus was our substitute. We are justified. The just for the unjust. Our substitute because of the blood. There was an exchange. There was a replacement. And because of the blood of Jesus Christ, he had atoned for our sin. He took our place. The just for the unjust. You know, Jesus was innocent. He was just. We're the guilty ones. So, criminal, one of the criminals realized this right at the end. He recognized the fact that this man has done nothing amiss. Don't you fear God? He came to his senses. He realized. I mean, you tell me, what did Jesus do wrong? Raise the dead, heal the blind, feed the poor, preach the gospel to the poor. What did he do wrong? Give hope to people, call them to repentance, offer forgiveness, point them to God, take their place. I mean, even Judas realized that he was, in, he was innocent. He actually threw back the money and said, I have betrayed innocent blood. Pilate and Herod had a, little, had a little meeting and both came to the conclusion, came to the verdict that he's innocent. They still scourged him, wanting to release him. 
The Jews weren't happy about it. They shouted all the more to crucify him, but he was innocent. They knew he was innocent. Pilate's wife said, have nothing to do with this just man. The centurion knew he was innocent. He said, indeed, this is a righteous man. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he hath made him to be sin for us. But look at this, who knew no sin. That we might be made, look at this, the righteousness of God in him, justified and exchanged. Our sin for God's righteousness. Let me stop here and say, do you have that? Do you have God's righteousness imputed under you by faith alone, by the way? Jesus took our sin and gave us the righteousness of God. Isaiah 61.10 I, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garment of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. Number three, we have peace and reconciliation because of the blood of Christ. Have a look at Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 10. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being made reconciled. We have been saved by his life. Look at verse 11. And not only so, but we have also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the, what's that word? Atonement. We have peace with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been made right or reconciled with God because of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, we are forgiven through the blood. Have a look at Colossians chapter one. Did you know a person can ask God for forgiveness 20 times a day? They can ask God, please forgive me, please forgive me, please forgive me, please forgive me when you do wrong. But no forgiveness will be given outside of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness can only be given because of the blood of Christ. Outside of Christ, there's no forgiveness. Have a look at Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have, that's that word again, redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. You know, means to be redeemed means to be forgiven. Means to be pardoned. Amen? And the psalmist knew this. Have a look at Psalm 32, quick. Blessed is he whose transgression is, what's that word? Forgiven, blessed, happy is he, whose sin is covered, the atonement. Blessed is that person. Have you have a covering on, for your sin? Are you redeemed? Are you justified? Have you made peace with God? Are you reconciled to God? Have you been pardoned or forgiven? It's only one way, it's through Jesus Christ. Number five, we are cleansed and sanctified because of the blood. First Corinthians chapter number six. Have a look at this. I just want to take it slow so you can see these wonderful truths. 
that we have in Christ. These are the blessings we have in Christ. Amen? Look at verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate or abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Look at this, verse 11. And such were some of you. This is how we used to live. You used to live this way. But ye are washed. But ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord and by the Spirit of our God. Thank God for this. Amen. We have been washed and sanctified, cleansed because of the blood. 1 John 1 7. Cleansed from all unrighteousness because of the blood of Christ. Have you been cleansed? Washed? Every blood-bought Christian, every blood-bought Christian can understand the sanctifying power upon their life. That that blood, that sweet, precious, priceless blood that flowed that day from Emmanuel's veins washed you and cleansed you. It's unbelievable. Through the power of the Spirit of God that you can now walk in the newness of life. You once were, but now you are washed and cleansed, sanctified. You're a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. It's a beautiful truth. That time where you cried and called upon the name of the Lord, transaction took place that day. Glory came and filled your soul. You can't explain it, but you became so hypersensitive to your sin. You saw it ever before you. You can see it, smell it, detect it. And though it's there, you say, I don't want this. It's disgusting. You understand what the power of the blood can do. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. Thank God for the cleansing power of the blood. Number six, we have victory through the blood. Have a look at Revelation 12. Revelation 12. Thank God for the victory that we have through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 10. Our victory is based on the great work of Jesus Christ, by the way. He says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Verse 11, And they overcame him. How? By the blood of the Lamb. You know, we are overcomers in Christ. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, faith is the victory. We are overcomers. By the way, there's no testimony. Over here it says, in the, and, and, the, and they overcame him by the word of their testimony. 
We have no testimony outside of the blood of Christ. The reason why you and I have a testimony is because of the blood of Jesus Christ and because of the work that Jesus did upon that cross. On that cross he cried, it is finished. You know what he finished? The down payment with his own blood. He's a propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but for, our, for the whole world. You know what I'm saying? That God was satisfied with his work of redemption on that cross. The blood was shed. It was finished on that cross. You can't add to the finished work of Christ. What God does, he does good. Let no man add to it. Ecclesiastes, I believe, 3.14. Let's see if, it, if it's there. Let's have a look. <clears throat> I know, Ecclesiastes 3.14, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything could to be taken from it. And what God doeth, that man should fear before him. That's a principle that we should learn. God does all things well. And what he did on that cross through his son, you can't add to it. It's perfect lamb of God, slain for the sins of the world. Behold the lamb of God, John said. Behold the lamb of God. Victory in Christ, only in Christ. We don't want to lose focus of that. Number seven, we have access to God because of the blood. Have a look at Hebrews chapter 10. You know, we can go directly to God because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a blessing? When I was a Catholic, I was an altar boy. And before I used to take the Eucharist, I used to go and, and uh, go in that confession box and say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been one week since my last confession. I son this happened for many weeks because I was an altar boy I had to be there every week and before taking the Eucharist I had to confess my sins and so I'd go through that priest that was unqualified because now we have a high priest amen and it's our Lord Jesus Christ have a look at verse 19 having therefore brethren boldness confidence to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus the holy of holies approaching the holy of holies by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh that broken body and having a high priest over the house of god let us draw near with a true heart a genuine a sincere Heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I remember when I got saved, I didn't know anything about church. I didn't know anything about denomination. I knew only the Catholic church at that time and the Orthodox church and anyone outside of those two was a Jehovah's Witness. That didn't believe in Mary. So when I got saved, my mate that led me to the Lord didn't tell me about Bible-believing, Christianity, Bible churches. So I, I went to the Catholic Church. And I remember in, I was in the front row. Man, I used to do the sign of the cross like this. Like, just get it over and done with. I didn't know anything about how to pray to God. So in my understanding, 
praying to God was doing a sign of the cross before I approached him. I still had no teaching. And so I'll do it very reverently. But there's one thing I recognize I didn't do when I took the Eucharist that day. I never went to the confession box. Do you know why? Because I was saved. And I didn't have to go. Because I met the high priest that saved me once and for all. Amen. That's one thing I recognized. I didn't have to go to him anymore. I was redeemed. I was justified. I had made peace with God. I was cleansed and sanctified. <laughs> I could go directly to Jesus Christ. I mean, that was the theme of the day at that time. I mean, I'll just say there's only one mediator between God and man when I learnt this. And there's no other mediator. Mary's not a mediator and the saints are not a mediator. And I, this was hard for me to accept because I was an idol worshipper and Mary was up there. Even to the point that when I realized this truth, it was still a struggle. So when I'd pray, I'd say, Jesus, can you say hello to Mary for me? <laughs> That's how attached I was to her. But when I realized I can go straight to Jesus, uh, to God through Jesus Christ because of his blood, that truth, that truth alone set me free. That I've been, you know, established in a relationship with God the Father and ever since I got saved, I would speak to my Abba. I would speak to my Daddy through the Spirit of God. You know, the Spirit of God helped me cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit of God that dwelt in me it was like a natural thing for me to sit down and talk to my Heavenly Father. It was a beautiful thing. I think the greatest part of Christianity is, yes, service is great. Absolutely. Serving God is wonderful. Bearing witness of the truth and preaching for the Lord is great. But I think one of the greatest amongst those is sitting and communing with God the Father, listen, as a friend. And that's not irreverent. Yes, there's a time when we come and approach him, but there's a time when in a very reverent way, there's a time we sit and we speak to our daddy. He's our dad, a friend and a dad. This is why John the Apostle says, Behold, what manner of love has God bestowed upon us? What manner? Behold. You know what he was doing? Hey, lifting up. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold. This love manifested that through Christ we are sons and heirs and joint heirs with Christ. And that we can cry out, Abba, Father. Through the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are indeed the sons of God. What manner of love is this? That we shall be called the sons of God. I'm a child of the King. I can talk to God directly. I can commune and tell Him my downfalls, uh, my shortcomings. And yes, my troubled times. Tell them about those enemies, how they're pursuing. Yes. Tell them about those times where I've let him down. 
casting all your cares upon him for he careth for you because of the blood of Christ we have access to God the Father and listen it's not cliche ought to be vibrant and real that you talk to God and you know his presence and you're practicing his presence you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more shall your father in heaven give good things to them that ask him I was doing a bit, bit of training with Doug out here trying to get my fitness together. And he's trying to keep me focused. Some of the kids are watching. Hezekiah cries out. And uh, it gave me a good excuse to stop what I was doing and attend to see if he was... But it was a natural reaction. He cried and it was like, forget about what I was doing. It was just natural. And that's the father's heart to my son. He cries, I want to run to him. You know, it's not one of those sooky, crying, you know, self-pity cries. It's a cry from the heart to the Heavenly Father. Listen, when we cry, He hears our cry. That's what we have because of the blood of Christ. That He hears us. I think it's so precious. And should not in any way be neglected. Don't take it for granted. Every day we get to commune with God because of the blood of Christ and it's precious. It's not only to come and say, God, forgive me for I've done this, I've done that. It's come to worship Him and thank Him and praise Him and be in awe of Him. Enjoying fellowship with the Son and the Father, as First John puts it. Sweet fellowship. I think John had sweet fellowship when he was on the island of Patmos, a brother and companion in tribulation. Sometimes that tribulation brings you close to the heart of God. We're going to see that in a moment. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. As we close, the greatest example, Jesus Christ. Let's have a look. Hebrews 12. Because you know, when you follow the Father and you do the will of God, like the Son of God did, you will be persecuted. Yes. Have a look. Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> look at verse 1. Wherefore seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the the race that he set before us. Look at this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The Hebrew writer is helping us gaze upon Jesus Christ. Looking unto Jesus. Behold, look, lifted. Still, I mean, we, the moment we take our eyes off Christ, we're done. You know why I believe at times we grow cold? It's because we've lost focus of our suffering Savior, our great Redeemer, our substitute, our great example, who loved the Father and did all that pleased the Father to the glory of the Father. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The author, the originator. Jesus submitting himself 
to God the Father, the beginning, the end, the one who finished all things, made things new. Amen. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and ending and all in between. He's our author. He's our finisher. He that begun a good work in you will finish it. Keep your eyes on Him, the one who finished. Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. The joy in suffering. What was the joy? The joy in pleasing God the Father. The joy in knowing that he was fulfilling the will of the Father. And I can't, I, 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 look, listen, you can't separate Jesus from knowing the will of the Father, which is to re redeem us. My body is broken for you. This, eat in remembrance for me. This is my body, listen, broken for you. As he was doing the will of the Father, he knew full well that he was redeeming us. The joy in buying us back and fulfilling the will of the Father. Looking under Him, the author and the finisher of our faith. But look at this, despising the shame. You know, the cross of Christ was a shameful thing. Suffering that He endured for us. Shameful. The spitting, the mockery, the, the undermining, the loneliness. The separation of the Father. The shame. Hanging there naked on the tree. Despise the shame. You think anyone invites that kind of shame? You mean one day when you're persecuted vehemently and you're beat down? Yeah, it's a shameful thing to be beaten down. Spat upon. Left for dead. It wasn't defeat. One of these charismatic preachers, he said when Jesus, I think even the Pope said it, when Jesus died on the cross, he was defeated. It was a sense of defeat. Why would they come to that conclusion? Because of the shame attributed to that kind of death. But we both, we all know that it wasn't defeat. It was victory. Have a look at the next part. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look at verse 3. For consider him. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Why? Lest you be weary in, and faint in your minds. In the face of hostile sinners, Jesus endured the cross. Jesus continued to be faithful to God the Father. And when we face the same opposition in the face of adversary and shame, and this kind of contradiction, consider Him. Lest you be wearied. Let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. What will keep us going and running that race that is set before us? Consider Him. 
A servant is not greater than his master. What happened to him? Most probably in our day, we see it will happen to us. Not to that degree, but in some form. And when it does, consider him. You know when you start being shaken regarding your faith? When the persecution starts. So what strange thing is happening to me? What have I done wrong? You start, listen, second guessing. Have I done anything wrong? Do I have bad news to tell? Or is it good news? No, 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 hang on a minute. We have good news. We have good news to tell. But the world out there makes you think you have bad news and that you have condemning news and then that you're not loving. If Jesus, our great God and Savior, was crucified, the just man, listen, a green tree, not a dry tree, an innocent man, a just man. What do you think will happen to a dry tree? Perfect Lamb of God. You couldn't fault Him. You couldn't find any sin. You might find some blemishes with us as Christians and we have to repent of our hypocrisy. But Jesus did not exhibit any hypocrisy. Perfect. Perfect in love. Perfect in judgment. Perfect in, in wisdom. Perfect in mercy. Yet they crucified Him. Have a look at Philippians chapter 2. Look at Philippians chapter 2. And look at verse 5. Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Look at this. And became obedient unto death. Even, emphasis, the death of the cross. The Son of Man must be lifted up, signifying of what kind of death he should die. The death of the cross. What does it mean for us? What does the suffering Saviour, the crucified Lord, mean to you? Is he your substitute today? Do you remember what he's done for you and what you have in Christ? All these beautiful blessings. Beautiful eternal blessings. What's it do to your heart? I hope that you grab these truths and you don't let them grow cold. And if you do, lift up your eyes and look upon Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. It's, listen, brethren, it is easy in our day today, to grow cold in our love for the Lord. 
I believe one of the reasons personally why God initiated the Lord's Supper is so that we would remember and not forget because we're forgetful people. Paul, Peter, were always prone to remind their hearers about the old truths so they would not let them slip. He'd stir up their minds in the way of remembrance. And there's no... Listen... Listen, there's no greater blessing. There's no greater blessing found other than in our crucified Lord. No other, there's, listen, we cannot be blessed outside of Christ. So gazing upon him and meditating and musing upon him and what he's done for us would be the very thing that will stir up our hearts to love him. Listen, you know what John said? We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. How do you know this? Where did you look? Where were your eyes? It was there. To the very point that the Apostle Paul says that he glories in the cross. How do you glory in the cross that only typifies suffering and shame and sacrifice? Because he understood what it meant for him. And you know why the Apostle Paul was a prisoner of the Lord? Do you know why? Because he was captivated by his love. He says, the love of Christ constrains us. For we thus judge that if one died for all, then we were all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. May God help us have a renewed heart if our heart has grown cold to the Saviour. Now the last thing that we want here in our church is that our service supersedes our relationship with Jesus Christ. That would be a sad thing. That we would be known to leave our first love. Everything would still be happening. The church is happening, singing is happening, preaching of the word is happening, soul winning is happening. But our relationship with the Lord is not really happening. Our intimacy with our great God and Saviour is not there like it used to be. It grew cold. Brethren, don't let your love for God grow cold. Don't forget the suffering Saviour. Don't forget what Jesus done for you. And when you gaze upon Him and you fall in love with Him and He has you, He has your heart, you know what Solomon said? Give me thy heart and let thy eyes observe my way. If God has your heart, he's got everything about you. You won't give him bits and pieces here and there. You say, Lord, take all of me. Work your work in me. Do what you desire in me. I see what you've done for me. Do you see? What, what does this demand? What does this demand?
You say, how's this grow? How, how do we let this grow cold? I'll tell you how. When we hear this over and over again, the precious, wonderful gospel, our suffering saviour, and it does nothing for us. Does nothing. And the question has to be, why? There's a blockage. There's something. And we must say like David of old, the one that knows everything about me, my down-sitting to my uprising, he knows everything. Every word that is in my heart, he knows. The word that will proceed out of my mouth, he knows. Search me, O God, and try me, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. Yes. Because deep down, when you lose the fire, there's something in your heart that is blocking your love for God. We know He loves us. As a matter of fact, we can hear sermon after sermon that it does nothing for us. Why? You know what? He had to tell the children of Israel that by His love, the, He was trying to draw them. And you know why they couldn't see it? I'll give you one. Because they were murmuring bunch of ungrateful people. That's why it was one of the things. No matter what God did for them, it wasn't good enough. They wanted more and more and more and more dissatisfied and discontent. Brethren, let me just say this. If God never gave you anything but his son, would that be enough for you? And if God will strip you from everything that you have now, is that okay? The Apostle Paul said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And to be with Christ is far better. But if I stay here, it's more needful for you. You know, Paul's purpose here on earth was to serve others because he knew by, by serving others, loving others, he was serving and loving God. But if he wasn't doing that and living for Christ, and my, my, my course is done, I'd rather be with the Lord. I don't want to preserve life. Hey, Lord, am I, is my course finished? Take me. Can't wait to be with you. To be with you is far better. Do you understand why the psalmist said, Thy loving kindness, listen, is better than life. You know why he said that? Because he understood God's love far outweighs life itself. Why? Because he's the giver of life. Without God, you and, he, you and I wouldn't be here today. Thank you, Lord, for giving us life. Listen, thank you, Lord, for giving us your son. We must be a thankful people for this is the will of God. And tonight we remember the cross and we remember our suffering Savior so we can praise Him and thank Him for the great God that He's been to us. And listen, He's been a great God. And He will not stop being a great God. Just because the heathen haters of God tell us day by day as we witness, oh, He doesn't love me. What's He given to me? 
What's he done for me? I said, look at your legs. He's given your legs. Oh, my mum gave me those. I said, no. God created you in your mother's womb. If God wasn't in the picture, nothing will happen. That's true. Every single person here. God knew you before you were even formed in your mum's belly. Now that blows me away. God loves you. Do you love him? Maybe tonight we would love him and say, Lord, I want to continue to love you and fall in love with you more and more. Help me by your grace. Love you more and more. More and more. Why do we have to toe the line of leaving our first love? Why do the bare minimum? Why not show extravagant love for God? Because we don't really understand then how much we've been forgiven. You know why she showed, that woman showed extravagant love and couldn't stop kissing his feet? Touching the Savior. Simon couldn't understand it. If he were a prophet, he would know what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. Yeah. I thank God that we can touch the Savior, if you will, and adore him. May God help us more and more adore him and love him and show affection to him. Not just with our lips, listen, but by the way we live, by our lives. Let's sing a hymn and after a hymn we'll observe the Lord's Supper together.